We are going to be studying Matthew 16, the passage that Dan just read. Um, let's turn to that, please. And we're going to be focusing on verses 24, 25, 26, and 27. Let's pause before God's holy word and ask him to come and to help us and to give us grace. Father, we pray that you will help us, especially this morning, as we are trying to process, really, some of the hardest words that Jesus says to people. Not hard to understand, but certainly very difficult to do and are calling us to a radical, radical commitment. Help us, we pray. Help us to understand this. Help us to respond properly. Help us to look at our lives and and to be disciples, we pray. Give us grace. Give us power from your spirit. Give us strength, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you sit here this morning, you probably had a busy week. Everybody has busy weeks every week anymore. That's just the way modern world is. You've had a lot on your plate this week, I'm sure. Uh, you've had, your life has been a rush. It's been a blur. And normally that's the way it is around here. We, we rush, 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 rush through life. And then we rush, 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 rush to, to uh, relax. Do you ever notice how we rush to relax? We, we rush, rush, rush to entertain. And then we decide we're going to just relax. And we're going to finally slow down and we're going to entertain and we put on a movie where a killer murders 15 people and cops chase him and and this and that and that's how we relax so that's that's just who we are in this culture and and we just keep going and going and going and going from one thing to the next and it's very important and we get very little time for this and i think this is one of the actual great blessings of church one of the great blessings of church is, is that it's a time, take an hour and that, and just, and just slow down and stop and think. And today, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to take some time, but we're going to stop and think about something that is extremely important. One of the most important things that any of us can sit and think about, and that is we're going to look at Jesus' call to us. But it's a call that forces us to ask the question, what am I all about? Like, who am I? What am I? What's my life mean? What's the center core of what I'm about, who I am? So you see, this is very different than our culture just rushing at us. And today it's going to be very difficult what Jesus is about to say. In fact, Jesus is going to say something today that is extremely countercultural. It's going to go against everything that you and I just came a week off of marinating in modern American culture. See, we're going to be asked to do something here that goes so dramatically against culture. See, here's what culture is going to say to you if you slow down, take a breath, and think about who am I? What is the core of who I am? The culture that you live in today is going to say to you. Now, it's different than other cultures. This wouldn't necessarily be true if you were in China. It wouldn't be necessarily true if you were in Saudi Arabia. But it is true if you're in Western culture, Europe, and if you're in America, if you're in Canada, if you're in Australia, New Zealand, this is where you're going to get. And that is that what you're to be about is self-fulfillment and self-pleasure. 
That's what you're to be about, fulfillment and pleasure. Now, you don't even need to be in America in just the secular culture to hear that. You can now go to church in America and hear that. Thousands will be going into Joel Osteen's church today, and Joel will be telling them that very same message. This is all about you. It's about self-fulfillment. It's about pleasure. The meism of this culture has now been taken up by certain branches of the church. And the meism then just becomes God helping me with meism. And there's prosperity preachers who will preach that God is here to make you financially prosperous. There's name it and claim it preachers who God is, God is, is your servant and, and you now have the power of God. They talk like this where you can name and claim things and get them for yourself. That's just another guise of meism. That's meism, self-fulfillment. Jesus is going to come walking in and, as it, as, as it were with the machete, hack all of that away. And he's going to come at us from a totally different direction. And so what we really need to do today is work hard to listen to Jesus and what Jesus is saying. That's what we're going to need to do. Work hard at this. And so I, I want to urge you, open this, your Bible, look at this Bible, listen to these words that Jesus has to say. What we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to do this. First, we're going to look at Jesus' hard words. Then secondly, we're going to ask ourselves this question. What does right does Jesus have to say this to me? What right does Jesus have this to say this to me? And then finally, we're going to ask ourselves, how do we process this? How does this practically would work out in our lives? So let's begin by looking at Jesus' hard words. Now, if you'll notice, we're going to look at chapter, at verse 24, 25, 26, and 27. And the reason I'm pointing that out is this. I want you to notice something about the, this passage, okay? This passage has a structure to it, a very specific structure. And depending on your English translation, if your English translation is literal, that's gonna, you're going to see it. But I want to point it out to you. In, ver- in, chapter 20, in verse 24, I'm sorry, Jesus is going to give us three imperatives, three commands that, that, that have the force of an imperative. We're going to look at those three. And then in verse 25, 26, and 27, he's going to give us the reasons why he just said, verse 24. And you'll notice that if your English Bible starts off in verse 25 with the word for. And then if in verse 27 it starts off with the word for. I'm sorry, 26 and 27. If you see for, for, and for in 25, 26, 27, that, then you have a good English translation because that's how, the, that's how the Greek language is. And that word for, it gives a ground or reason. For this is the reason, for this is the reason, for this is the reason. Now, that's the structure, and that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at those verses. Verse 28 uh, it actually is, is more of a transition verse to chapter 17, so we're going to get to that the next time I preach here on, on Matthew. But anyway, let's remember the context. Remember the context. Jesus, look at verse 13. Jesus comes away, says Rhea Philippi, says, who do men say that I, the son of man is? And then they say, well, they say this, they say that. Who do you say I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So the son of man is also son of God. Verse 16. Then Jesus says, blessed are you. The gates of hell will not prevail against this. But then in verse 20, he commands his disciples not to tell anybody that he is Christ the Messiah. And then in verse 21, 
he says this, for it was that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, and uh, from the elders and chief, pri and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised the third day. Peter freaks out about this and says, no way. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. All right, so that's the context, and we've looked at all that. Then Jesus turns to his disciples in verse 24, and he says this. <clears throat> if anyone desires to come after me. Now, what he means by that is, is anyone desires to be my follower. If anyone desires to be a, a disciple of mine. If anyone desires to be part of that group of people that I have come to save. If anybody wants me as their Messiah. That's what he means there. He must do three things. Number one, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. That means let him say no to himself. Now you can see right away, this is the opposite of our culture. Our culture is me, 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 me. And now Jesus is saying, say no to me. Deny yourself. Renounce yourself. This is seen in the life of the Apostle Paul. When Paul writes a letter, Paul writes, Paul. A slave of Jesus Christ. What a humiliating thing to write. I am a slave of Jesus Christ. He is my master. My will is to do his will. That's what I This is what Jesus means by deny yourself. Deny yourself. Renounce yourself. Turn away from yourself. Peter denied Jesus three times. I don't know who he is. I, no, I'm not with him. No, I'm not associated with him. Jesus is here saying we're to do that with ourselves. Ourselves. Honestly, if a person from the world came walking in here and heard that, they'd say, this is crazy. They would probably understand this very, very clearly. This is crazy. Deny myself. Yeah, well, and again, I'm not making this up. Jesus said this. Deny yourself. Deny your personal goals. Deny your reputation. Renounce your cravings. Renounce your safety. Renounce your security. Renounce meism. Renounce yourself. That's what Jesus said. I'm just the messenger. I'm just, I, my job is to be faithful to what Jesus said. It's radical. It's powerful. It goes against everything that we understand as a culture. But there it is. Let him deny himself. Secondly, let him take up his cross. Let him take up his cross. Now, this is not a necklace of cross. We do wear necklaces and jewelry for cross, obviously. And that's a good thing because the cross is central to the entire message of the gospel. This also doesn't mean your personal burden that you bear. We sometimes use the phrase, I, uh, you know, my arthritis is a cross that I must bear. Or my, my sickness is a cross I must bear. Or I have a... If somebody were to say, I have a, a, a drug-addicted child in and out of rehab, and that's the cross that I must bear. Sometimes we use that phrase as a burden that we must bear, and, and those are burdens that, that, that bear. That is not what Jesus means here, though, okay? Here, Jesus literally means the literal cross. You must take up your cross. Now, for the first century hearer, when they heard Jesus said that, they understood what that meant. That meant you need to pick up a cross, pick it up, that maybe the cross member of the cross beam, you needed to walk as a prisoner to the place of execution. 
You needed to lay that down. You needed to lay on top of it and be nailed. You needed to be strung up onto a cross from that and set into the ground. And then for Jesus, his feet was nailed. And Jesus is saying, you must take up your cross. Now, this is, this is horrible language. I'm not saying that to be critical. I'm saying it to, to, so that we can understand the horror of it. If first century people heard this, they would have been shocked. I can imagine the first time these words came out of Jesus' mouth, people were sick. They squirmed. They got a cold sweat. They, their eyes widened up. It was hard to swallow. They had to take a deep breath. About 20 years ago, the United States invaded Iraq, and the president of Iraq at that time, his name was Saddam Hussein. And Saddam Hussein, whenever you saw him publicly, Saddam Hussein was arrogant, he was proud, he was obviously in charge, he was a dictator of this land. There's a watch the hanging of Saddam Hussein, and I watched it, okay? And what I watched, I, that you didn't actually, I don't know, if, I don't even remember if you saw him drop, but... I watched, you watched him come to the platform and you watched him put the hangman's noose around his neck. And the point I'm trying to make is this. It was an absolutely different Saddam Hussein than you had seen before. You could see in his eyes sheer panic, sheer fear. He was almost like he was a robot. He wasn't, he was in absolute panic and distress. Jesus is saying that in this text. Put the hangman's noose around your neck. Stand up in front of the firing squad. Get yourself beheaded by ISIS. See, that's what Jesus is saying here. We need to just listen to him. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Now here by follow me, he's using this this phrase, is... Uh, you are to be my disciple. You are to follow me. There is to be a complete and total abandonment of yourself to me, to my person, to my cause, to my kingdom, to me personally. It's the utter abandonment of yourself and the complete 100% total commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord, Messiah, Master, as he is everything. You get rid of self-ambition and you become a slave of Jesus Christ. No more self-fulfillment to say, not my will, but your will be done. You give up putting yourself first. And you say, as John the Baptist says, he must increase, I must decrease. Or, as Jesus said, this greatest, I must be last. I must be his servant. Or as Paul said, I am a slave of Jesus Christ, and for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In other words, our wealth, our gifts, our goals, our reputation, our life is to be handed over to Jesus Christ and say, I will do anything, everything for you, for your glory, for your kingdom. I am 100% absolutely committed to you. I deny myself, I am yours. I abandon myself, I am yours. I renounce myself, I am yours. 
Tell your slave what to do. Tell your slave where to go. Tell your slave what to say. Tell your slave how to live. Tell your slave how to spend my money. Tell your slave what to do, and I will do it. For me to live is you. To live is you. And if I need to die for you, that will be a privilege. Last week we put up Revelation 12, 11. We put it up again. Such a powerful verse. And it says this. And they overcame him. The believers overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb. By the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. See, that's what Jesus is saying here. That's verse 24. And then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you're not willing to do that, you're not a believer. You're not a Christian. You're not a follower. Okay? This is his standards. Okay? Now he gives us three reasons. Look at verse 25. Four. Reason number one. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. This is Jesus' way of saying this. Self-preservation is self-destruction. That's what he's saying here. Self-preservation is self-destruction. Imagine you're on an airplane, okay? You're on an airplane. You're flying an airplane. You're flying over the ocean. Halfway across the ocean, the announcement comes on. The speaker comes on and says, listen, folks, we're in a terrible situation. We have a real problem with this plane. We have actually lost Fuel, fuel is leaking somewhere. We do not have enough fuel to get across the ocean. And so right now we are giving everybody parachutes. We're going to open the door and we're telling you, you need to jump out of this plane. This plane is going to crash. Now imagine somebody is in that plane and they are deathly afraid of heights. It took them everything they could to get on the plane. That door is open and that ocean's all the way down there and they're telling you to jump. They said, don't worry, we're going to send down some life rafts. Don't worry, but you need to jump. This plane's going to crash. And somebody says, no. No, I'm afraid of heights. No, I can't even look back there. No, I'm not even putting on the parachute. No, no, I can't face that. No, I can't face that. Then what's going to happen? They're going to die. They don't have a chance. That plane is going to crash. It's gone. They're going to die. And this is what Jesus is saying here. You see, if you'll notice the title of the sermon that I put in this thing, and that is this. In a war zone, there are only hard decisions. You see, dear friends, we have a hard decision. Here Jesus is saying this. If you decide, no, I'm not renouncing myself. No, I'm not throwing myself into this like this. No, I'm not giving 100%. No, I'm not doing that. Then you will go down with this world. No, I'm going to keep myself self-centered. Then you're going to perish. That's what Jesus said. But then notice what he says in verse 25. But whoever loses his life for my sake... We'll find it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you lose your life for me because I am the Savior, I am Jesus, I am salvation. If you lose your life for me, if you abandon yourself for me, if you say, I am your slave, you must increase, I must decrease. I'm all about you. You'll be saved because I'm the Savior and I will save you. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Look at verse 26 as we follow his argument. For, now he's giving us another reason. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What profit is it, he says, if you gain the world? If you do say, this is all about me. And you fight that fight and you play that game and you win at that competition and you gain the world. 
And you get all of these things and you, you have all of these things and it's all been about you. All of the fulfillment, all of the pleasure, all of the self-seeking, all of the self-centeredness. And it all comes, it all happens. It's all yours and you go to hell. What good is that? What good is that? That's what Jesus is saying. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? What happens if that happens to you? You live to be a certain age, 90s. You're in your 90s. You're 105. You're the richest person in the world. You're popular. You have name recognition. Everything's you're the greatest. And then you die and go to hell. Do you know how quickly you'll be in hell for 100 years? Do you know how quickly that will go? And then 100,000 years? And then 100 million years? And then 100 billion years? And then billions and billions and billions of years separated from God? Separated from anything that is pleasure and joy? Separated from all that you were seeking after? Do you imagine what that's like? Can you imagine the regret that people feel one minute, five minutes, 15 minutes in hell when they realize, I totally messed up my life. I totally screwed up. I believed a lie. I made it about me. And now I'm in hell. Jesus goes on to say this. Look at the second half of the verse. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Could you imagine people who die separated from God and go to hell and then say, what have I done here? I sold my soul. For what? For money? Where's my money now? I'm in hell. Who's spending my money now? For pleasure? For food? For sex? For exotic vacations? For status? For arrogant display of my wealth? Remember the man who built the bigger barns, bigger barns, and God said, you fool. You fool, you're going to die tonight. Dear friends, are we really going to sell our souls so cheap by just acquiring things and making it all about us? Then look at verse 27. It's the fourth, the third reason, the third four. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. You see, dear friends, this idea of giving yourself to Jesus Renouncing yourself for Jesus' sake. Offering yourself as a slave to Jesus. Forsaking your self goals and making it him. That's going to look very, very different. Once he comes bursting through the sky. With billions and billions of angels. And sets up his throne. To judge the world. At that point, things are going to look very, very different. At that point, those people who denied themselves, took up their cross, and followed him are going to be glorious. They did the right thing. It was all about, I made my life all about him, and now he's judging the entire world. And for those who didn't, once again, tragically, they'll say, what have I done? What horrible decisions have I made? 
I forfeited my life, and I'm going to lose it now. To get a sense or taste of this, just, just turn a couple chapters ahead. Look at chapter 25. Jesus tells this parable. We'll, we'll, we'll go through this parable uh, in weeks ahead. But, but just, just look at the, the language, the wordage of this second glorious second coming. He says, when the Son of Man comes, it's chapter 531. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and with all the holy angels with him. Look at that. All the holy angels showed up. Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. So here's the Son of Man coming in his glory, the glory of the Father as well, Jesus says in our verse, and the glory of all of these angels, and he's sitting on a throne of glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates his sheep from the goats, and he will set the sheep on the right side and the goats on the left, and then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now drop down to verse 31. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You see the difference of what's going to go on there? And again, this is Jesus talking. This isn't some backwoods, ignorant a Bible preacher in, in some backwoods place called Mercer County. This is Jesus speaking and saying these words. This is how the world will end. And Jesus says, therefore, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and he judges, you're going to want to be on the right side of history then, the right side of his story. So then let's ask ourselves, what right does Jesus have to, to, to ask this of us? Like no human being has the right to ask this of us. Now I have promised Jan that I will love her through sickness and in health. I will, rich and poor, I will be with her. I will stand by her. I will be with her. I made that public vow before God and I'm committed. But I committed myself to that. She didn't demand that from me. Now, of course, she had the right to expect that from me. But she, nobody has the right to say to you, deny yourself, forsake everything, be my servant, give it all up for me, and, and be, be willing to be executed at any moment for me. And give yourself and follow me. And whatever I do, you follow everything that I say. No, who has the right to say that to anybody? How does Jesus have the right to say that? Well, all we have to do is look at the context. And the context answers this for us. Number one, Jesus has the right to say this because, look at verse 16. You are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. He's the son of man, verse 13, but he is not a mere man. He is not even a great man, a merely great man. He is the son of God. And as the son of God, the one who was in the beginning with God and the one through whom all things were created and the one who rules for his father, this is his world. You are a person that he has created. He has the right to say any of this. Secondly, as I just said earlier, he is coming as judge. Look at verse 27. He is coming as judge. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father. There you have it. Son of Man, Son of God, right there, in the glory of his Father. He has the right to judge. He has the right. And he will be the one who will judge. He will be the one who will make the decisions. And so he has the right to determine how he is going to judge his world and with the judgment that the Father has appointed him to. But I want to focus us on the third reason. The third reason. 
And that is actually given to us in the context in verse 21. And from that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be killed and be raised the third day. As I've had to make a calculated decision in my life, what's Todd Johnson all about? What do I do with this? The fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, factors majorly in this. The fact that he is coming to judge the world and it is his world measures hugely in this. But the fact that he died for me The fact that the very thing he's asking me to do, give myself to him, is a response to the fact that he, son of God, gave himself for me. He gave himself for me. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I think Paul came to the same conviction when he says this. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Look at this. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus denied himself. Jesus is not asking us to do anything in this passage that he does not already do for us. Look at verse 24. Whoever desires to come to me, let him deny himself. Jesus denied himself. The Bible says that Jesus did not consider equality with the Father something to grasp after, but made himself of no reputation, made himself nothing, humbled himself, took on humanity, and came and lived amongst. He denied himself. He denied himself. Jesus was never married. Jesus lived into to be in his 30s, and he was never married. He denied himself marriage. Uh, having marriage, being having that kind of companionship, Jesus said, no, that is not for me. That will not happen in my life. And very early on in his life, Jesus realized, I will never be married. I am committed to this cause. I will not be married. Jesus was never to have children, never to have biological children, never to hold his own child in his hand. No, never own a home. Never have the stability of life like that. Never to have safety. Never to seek after comforts. He had nothing. He had foxes. He said, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. I don't have any place to lay my head. He denied himself a home. He denied himself a bed. He denied himself a closet. He denied himself a bedroom. He denied himself all of the comforts and pleasures that we have. Jesus had no retirement. He had no ease. And then he took up the cross. Look at, look at verse 24. Let him deny himself. Jesus denied himself. And let him take up his cross. Jesus took up his cross. He literally did. He literally died. He literally went to execution for us. The son of God became the son of man that the sons of men could become the sons of God. He gave himself for our salvation. He was a good shepherd who laid down his life. Jesus is not asking anything from us that he didn't already do for us. For us. Jesus comes to me and he says, Todd, I want you to deny yourself. And I look to Jesus and I say, well, you denied yourself for me. You denied yourself everything. 
Jesus says, I want you to be willing to be executed for me. And I turn to Jesus and I say, well, that makes sense. You were executed for me. I am following you. I am following you. So how do we, how do we process this? How do we process this? Well, one of the first questions somebody might ask in processing this is this. Why does it have to be so hard? When did Joel Osteen's church start? I think I might go there. I, I need something. I, I came here to get self-fulfilled. I didn't come here to hear this. Why does this have to be so hard? Well, it has to be so hard, dear friends, because you have been born in a war zone. You have been born in a war zone. There's a massive spiritual warfare going on. Satan has already rebelled. Satan already has an army and legions. He came and he attacked Eve. He brought through Adam and Eve our race into rebellion. Jesus himself, when he was born, when Jesus was born, all of the newborns in the town that he was born in in Bethlehem were slaughtered. They were hacked in pieces with swords. Why? Because Jesus was born in a war zone. Satan attacked Jesus. Jesus himself was crucified. Jesus died in this war. And he and his followers are in a war zone. There is a rebellion going on. And it is such a war zone. There is no easy way out of this. This is reality. And what we need to do is literally, and, and I'm not real big on gender neutral stuff, so we need to man up. <coughs> Men and women here, we need to man up. We need to recognize we're in a war zone. We need to swallow deep. And we need to realize if I'm going to get out of this war zone, I better follow the winner. And the winner is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need to resolve the issue. We need to resolve the issue of whether we are going to respond to Jesus the way he says we must respond to him here or we cannot call ourselves followers of Jesus. Now, at this point, I want to really urge everybody here to think soberly here. Let's be realistic here. And I'll I'll, I'll use myself as an example. I'm not knit together with a massive amount of just manly courage. I'm not. I'm, I, that's not me. I, I, I frighten easily, okay? I, I, I get anxious easily over stuff, okay? I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not made of real tough stuff. So then I sit there and I think, how in the world do I respond to this? Like, there's a part of me that wants to sit here and say, yeah, I, I want this to be me. I do. I want this to be me. I, I want to be one of these people. I want to be willing to die for Jesus. Yes. And, and if I could do it, I would do it. And that's what I say to Jesus. I say, Jesus, I, I, I want to be that guy. I, I want to be there. I, I want to do this. But I have serious doubts when push comes to shove whether I can do this. Like when they start arresting people and killing people, am I going to freak out? Am I going to get scared? Am I going to deny? Am I going to just start panicking? It's amazing how, how, how brave and courage and, and, and how clear focused I am when everything's going good in my life. But as soon as something doesn't go good in my life, I, I, I get sick or there's some kind of financial difficulty or there's something on it. It's easy to see me go, Whoa. And not believe as I should believe. I'm just being honest with you. This is who I am. 
And so I've wrestled with this text and I've said, how do you preach this? How do you not only preach it, how do you deal with it? And this is how I deal with it. And I did this week. I said, Jesus, I'm a coward and I'm weak. But I love you more than life itself. And sitting here on, I'll tell you my last time I prayed this. Sitting here on my front porch in beautiful Mercer County on this beautiful summer day in safety, having all my needs met by you in good health. The beautiful wife singing there in the kitchen who loves you. Ready to get on my bike and go for a ride. I'm like all in. Like I, 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 man, I, I'd like to believe that if they drag us out and shoot us in the head or cut our throats or hang us, that I would have no hesitation. Because in my heart, Lord Jesus, I have no hesitation. I love you and I would lay down my life for you. My only problem is, is I don't know if I can pull this off. And I need your grace. And I need your strength. And you know I'm all in. But at that moment, you need to make me strong. If you give me grace, I will do this. And dear friends, I think that's where we need to be. We don't know. Beyond that, we don't have the strength to do this, to be this person. We don't have the strength to do this. But he does. He does. And God will give us grace. You see, dear friends, we live in a very hostile culture that's becoming increasingly hostile. There used to be a time when you could, a sign of being a good citizen was that he was a good guy, she was a good gal, and they were active in their church. And that was expected of a good leader. That isn't true today. Today, if you're a Christian, you're suspect. You're held with disdain. You're judged by other people. You're put in these ugly boxes. And there's a hostility toward God that is out there. There's a hostility. Last week I talked about, we stay away, God. No God. We want no God. I, I used the illustration of, 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 of signs we put up. God, stay out. God, get out. Get out of this world, God. Get out. Well, this week in the New York Times, an op-ed piece was written, and this was the title of it. God has no place in Supreme Court decisions. Linda Greathouse wrote an article, God has no place in Supreme Court decisions. And she broadened it. God has no place in the Congress of the United States. What is that? That is a sign. Get out. Get out of America. Get out of our God. Get out of our God. You're not God. You have no place in this. That's the culture that you're in. Now, what we're doing is we're saying, no, I'm all in for him. I'm 100% in for him. I have made a decision. I have made a commitment. I have dedicated all that I am to him. You hate him, I know you're going to hate me. And dear friends, we're going, to, we're going to face that hatred. We need to be willing to stand, and Jesus knows that. And Jesus is saying we need to deny ourselves. Deny ourselves acceptance. Deny ourselves the good word. Deny ourselves all the likes on Facebook. Deny ourselves all of that. You see, dear friends, this dying for Jesus, this dying on his behalf, it doesn't, doesn't begin and end with our heads getting cut off or us going to the firing squad. It begins and ends with us dying on social media. It begins and ends with us dying to our friendships that we have in this world. It begins and ends with us dying in the court of public opinion. It begins and ends with us tomorrow 
tomorrow living and identifying for Jesus. That's what it begins with. We need to be willing to take a stand for Jesus. We need to be willing to pick up a cross. We need to be willing to do what Pastor Wang Yi did three years ago. Pastor Wang Yi is a Presbyterian, Reformed Presbyterian pastor in China. And he is in the third year of a nine-year prison sentence right now simply because he was preaching the Bible. And his wife and 14-year-old child have never seen him in the three years. They are allowed to talk to him on the phone. But that phone conversation is being listened to. And at any moment in that phone conversation, if he or his wife mention God, the phone goes dead. Dear friends, we may be moving toward that. And that's why I can't sugarcoat this at all. You hear the words of Jesus. All I can say to you is this. Me standing here and all that I know about Jesus and all that I know about him, this is coming in the future kingdom. I'm willing to do this. I'm in. By his grace, with his strength, I'm in. Now, if there's any here, children, some of you children who are here, this could be frightening stuff. And, and I'm, I, can't, I can't make it not frightening. It is frightening stuff. But if you're sitting here saying, no, not me. I'm not going to be made fun of because I'm a Christian. I'm not going to be treated like this. This would be social suicide. This would be social media suicide. I am not going to identify myself as a Christian. I want to distance myself from these these Christians, these Bible-believing Christians. I want to distance myself from them. I do not want to be a part of this. I do not want to lose these things. Then I need to say to you, what Jesus says to you. If you save your life like this, if you save your social media prestige, if you save yourself from this discomfort, if you save yourself from identifying with Christians, if you save yourself and hold back, you will die. You will perish. You will be separated from Christ for all of eternity. I know this sounds radical, but Jesus is radical. Jesus is radical. And I just want to urge you, listen, don't distance yourself from Jesus. Kids, don't distance yourself from Jesus. Flee to him. Embrace him. Follow him. Commit yourself to him. And be willing to tell your friends, I'm a Christian. I'm with Jesus. Because that day when he comes through those clouds, you're going to definitely want to be one who has identified yourself with him. And when his eyes come upon you, And you stand before him and his eyes penetrate to the very recesses of your soul. You want to see that smile that comes upon his face. And say, he says, when I was hated, you identified with me. You were my friend. Come into the kingdom that I have prepared for you. Come into the kingdom. You don't want to have what happened to Peter almost when Jesus turns to him and says, get out of my sight. will never be seen or heard from again in the kingdom of light. Depart. Dear ones, you don't want that to happen. Jesus will give you the grace. You're a coward, so am I. You like social media uh, a presence, so do I. You like people who who think highly of you, so do I. But God will give you the grace and strength to renounce that, to follow him. And you will never regret that sentence. You will never regret Let's pray together.
Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us enough that you speak your plain truth to us. You challenge us. And Father, as every man and woman in this place, every young man and young woman, every boy and girl in this place, we all need to soberly decide whether we're in or not, whether we renounce us or whether we renounce you. Help us, we pray. Give us grace. Give us power. You have taken other scared, frightful people who just wish this thing would go away. And you've made them bold. You've made them strong. Their commitment lasted years and years and through suffering and even death. Oh, Lord Jesus, do your miracle in our lives. Do your miracle. We love you. You gave yourself. For us. You denied everything for us. You took up your cross for us. You're not asking us to do anything you haven't already done. We're in. Here we are. Take us. We pray this in your precious name.